The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. We've started a series that today we finish, and it's three revelations of God. The first revelation is that God is with us. The second revelation is that God is for us. And the third revelation is that God is in us. How magnificent to know that God is with us, that God is for us, and that God is in us, or at least wants to be in us. I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18. Well, let's read from verse 17. It says, that Christ may dwell, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. We sang that, come into my heart. And this is Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church. But more so than to the Ephesian church, it's Paul's prayer. The Apostle Paul prayed this prayer back in the first century. And it relates to you. And this is the prayer. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That be that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all The fullness of God. Wow. Wow. This morning, we're going to try to unpack the meaning of these words because they are so profound and so life-changing. Here's Paul trying to say to us, I wish, I wish, I, I pray that you might be able to comprehend the love of God. If you could only get hold of God's love and Begin to understand. And then he begins to describe the immensity of it. And he says, if you could know the width of it, how wide it is. If you could know the length of it, how long it is. If you could know the depth of it, how deep it is. If you could know the height of it, how high it is. You would be forever changed. Because so many of us live in a conditional society. For so many of us, love is conditional. But here's God's word saying, come on. The, the, the program that you have of love being meted out when you're good and, and taken away from you when you're bad. And so for so many of us, our love experience is, I love you when you're good. I don't love you when you're bad. And, and so we kind of then projected to God that God's love is this, he one day gone the next. And, and it's, it's limited because, you know, God's so busy. And, and Paul is saying, you've got no idea about the love of God. If you could only comprehend it, if you could only understand it. And you know what? I've been a pastor now for 36 years and I still have not reached the depths of comprehension of this scripture. I'm, I'm still coming to grips with it. 
I'm still coming to grips with it. Can, can I just say to some of you that you've been brought up in, in, in a society of legalism and a society of rules and regulations and a society of punishment, that we kind of live with this, this concept of God that he's out to punish us when what Paul is saying here is, no, he's not out to punish you, he's out to love you. Come on, get that whole thing turned around. Get the punishment of God out of your heart and get the love of God into your hearts. And especially those of you that are Christians, you need to get the punishment factor out of your spirit and start to get the love factor into your spirit, into your heart, that you may comprehend what is the width, the length, the depth, the height of the love of God. And then Paul goes on and it says, it passes knowledge. You think you know it, but it passes what you know. And every single day, there's a little bit more of revelation that you can get about the love of God. I want us all to say this. I want you to open up the palms of your hands and I want you to say this. The love of God is greater than my wildest dreams. It will take eternity for me to begin to scratch the surface of God's love. And even then, I'll only know a little bit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We, today, you've got to get this because this is the basis. This is the foundation. The foundation is the love of God. And here's Paul's prayer to the Ephesians that you might begin to understand it. So let's start with what I call the divine love story. How many of you are interested in the divine love story? Come on. Some of you guys are sitting here saying, is this a chick flick or what? This is, this is a Bible story, the divine love story. And the divine love story has got five chapters. So let's, let me talk to you about the five chapters of the divine love story. Here's chapter one. Are you ready for this? Chapter one, God made us. You were not an accident. You were a creation by God. You know, can I just say to you, as soon as you remove chapter one out of the book, you miss the divine love story. The divine love story is that God made you. You were not an accident. You were not a mistake. You were a creation of God. You were created in God's image. Stop thinking yourself bad when God made you. He doesn't make bad things. He makes good things. Stop complaining about, well, well, this person's got this and that person's got that and I don't have this and I don't have that. What you have is unique. God made you. God loves you because he made you. And that makes you unique. What a wonderful thing it is. You are made by God. That's chapter one. We could spend the whole morning on that. But let's move on to chapter two. Here it is. Chapter two is, he lost us. He made us. How many of you know how heartbreaking it is to make something and then lose it? And that's what sin did to us. It caused us to be lost from God. And so, you know, the Bible says all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We we got lost. We got lost on the way. We got lost on the journey. We got lost in our sin. and, And that's chapter two of the story. But it's not the end of the story. Now, what happens is this, that every single person here is somewhere in the love story. And we're all, we all start at chapter one, but some people just, they get lost in chapter two because that's where they're lost and they stay lost 
in chapter 2. But that's not the end of the love story. The love story moves on to chapter 3. And chapter 3 is he found us. (laughs) He came looking for us and found us. And can I say to you that every single person in this auditorium, you're here today because God found you. You're not here by chance. You're not here by luck. You're here because God found you, brought you here. So that he might take you to chapter 4, and that's to rescue you. Wow, he rescued us. That's the fourth chapter. What a great love story. He made us. He lost us. He found us. He rescued us. How many of you know that right there is the essence of all the love stories that are out there? You know, when, 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 you, when you are weeping at, at, uh, at, at a, and I know some of you guys don't do that, but I'm sure that a lot of you ladies do that. I can't generalize, but there's, uh, you know, you see a love story and there's something powerful about, about the person being lost and then the person being found and then the person being rescued. There's something powerful about the little lost boy that gets lost and then gets found and then gets rescued. There's something powerful about those themes They resonate within us because it's connected to the divine love story. And there's something spiritual within us, every culture, that resonates with the divine love story. Because it's us. We were made. We were lost. We were found. We were rescued. But then chapter 5 is where we need to get to. And chapter 5 is he wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. And this is just something powerful that this morning I'm going to try to unpack with you. That not only does he want to rescue you, he wants to be with you. And the being with you is the dream. The dream of God. The dream of God. Can, can I read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16? This is the dream of God. This is what it says. And, and here's Paul quoting from the book of Ezekiel, from the Old Testament. And, you know, and he's saying, uh, you know, he's, he's trying to teach them about you know, the things of this world. And, and then he says, you're the temple of the living God. And then he quotes a passage from Ezekiel, uh, I think it's chapter 37, when he says, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. He's quoting from the Old Testament where there's, this, there's just this hint of God's dream. And God's dream is that he would dwell in us. The dream of God, not only to be with us and for us, but to be in us. And not only to be with us, but to be in us. And and that just takes it to another level, the dream of God. And can I just say to you that the dream of God can only be entered into when we get the revelation of relationship. Let, 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 Let me tell you my story. With, uh, with Anne. How many of you know that I loved Anne before she loved me? You didn't know that? I mean, for a whole season, she didn't even know I existed. And every time she'd walk past, my heart would miss a beat. Now, some of you might call that a sickness, and, but it was, it was the, the case. And, um, and, and so, because the first time that I laid eyes on her, I wanted to marry her. It was like this is the girl of my dreams, I want to marry her, but she didn't have that same thing. 
And so we're talking about um, many, many months of, uh, of me watching her from a distance, not making any moves at all, and uh, wondering how this thing is going to work out. But then towards the end of 1979, I started to make my moves. Yeah. Little gifts, little things, but they were very considered and they were moves. And, and so what happened was that I was trying to win her. I was trying to do things that made her feel that when I was around, it was a wonderful thing. Come on, guys, I'm giving you some hints here. Huh? You know, so, so I was always listening. What can make her happy? What, what, what could give her a thrill? What, what would give her, you know, squeals of excitement? Anything that would just make her happy was, was, was on my heart because I wanted to win her. And, and so we got to the end of, because um, this is, we were in Bible college at the time, so we were, when I say living together, I'm saying we were living in the same building. She was on the second floor. I was on the first floor. We were apart, but in the same building at Bible college. And, and then what happened was the big test comes on. And the big test was semester break. And so I'd been working now for a couple of months to see if there was something happen. And semester break was a six-week break. Six weeks uh, where we weren't going to see each other. And in that six-week break, something happened. What's that? I rang her up. And when I spoke to her on the phone, this is what she said. I don't want to spend six weeks away from you. Come on, baby. Come on. You know the fish is on the line. Uh, you know, baby, all you've got to do now is reel it in. Because I had her hook, line, and sing. I don't want to spend six weeks away from you. So what do you suggest? And she su suggested, because she was living in Canberra with her family, and she says, why don't you come to Canberra, and, and our family's going on holidays, and I'll organize with my parents for you to come on holidays with us. And I thought, holidays with the family? <laughs> this is at another level now, baby. Uh, introduce me to the family? Wow. And, uh, but you know, as far as I was concerned, this is a girl I wanted to marry. So my plan for her was already in my head, you know, we're going to live happily ever after. And so what happened is this, I needed to see where she was at before I could actually start to expose my plan because the plan, if it's not received, will be rejected. And so when I ended up, you know, going to Canberra, Oh my goodness, it was just on. There was the picnic, there was all the stuff. And, and it was, I could feel this girl now was totally putty in my hands. <laughs> and so, guess what? Within three days, I'd proposed. Yeah, oh, yeah, baby, I don't muck around. Yeah, how, many, how many of you know that? I don't muck around. But see, this is the thing is that, is that I wanted to propose from day one before she was ready. 
I could only propose when I knew that she was ready. And I knew that I'd get a yes rather than, hang on here, boy. What are you talking about? We've only, we've only been going out together for three days. Because that's, seriously, that's exactly how long it had been that we were going together three days and I proposed. He said, what's all that about? I just knew what I wanted. I knew how to get it. I knew what my future was. And I knew this was the girl that was going to spend the rest. And you know what? That was, that was the end of 1979. And I love her more today than I did back then. And I was passionately in love with her then. This is the, this is the love story that resonates because you have a plan. And the plan worked out beautifully, and it's still working out beautifully. And Christelle is sitting next to her mum right now saying, thank God that it's worked out, because if it hadn't worked out, I wouldn't be here. And that's so true. <laughs> you wouldn't be here if it hadn't worked out. But this is, this is what you've got to understand, that God's got a love story planned for you. And some of you are just rejecting the love story when you should be accepting the love story because you don't get a better lover than God. You don't get someone better than God. He is your creator. And so this is and his plan for you is that he may be with you, for you, and in you. And he has this plan before you're even aware of it. And and he's and he's opening it up for you. And and he's Paul praying, I, I'm praying that you might be filled with the fullness of God, not just this partial relationship you know this you know because at the beginning of bible school Anne and i had hello john how you going hello Anne, mr b how are you mr b but as far as she's concerned i was just one of the boys but my plan for her is you're not just one of the girls for me you're my future wife i want to spend the rest of my life with you now, can you see this that god's got a plan for you more than hey god i need this hey god i need that god's plan for you is I want to be with you. I want to be for you. I want to be in you. That you might be filled with the fullness of God. And so many of us have just got the passing relationship rather than the intimate relationship. Can I tell you what God did in order to have this intimacy with you? Can I tell you what he did? Let let me tell you what he did. So when we're talking about God in you, the, the people of God, their only concept of God in something was God in the temple. Because it was like God would come upon people and then leave. But the habitation of God within people, just they didn't have that concept. And so they knew that there was a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies that God inhabited. And so God was in there, in this sanctum, the inner sanctum of the temple. But boy, there was a lot of process. And the process was this, that God could only inhabit a holy place. Everybody say holy place. Because God is holy. And for God to be and live anywhere, it must be holy. If it's not holy, God is not comfortable. And so then what was ordered was that this sanctum in the Old Testament where God dwelt had to be a holy place. And so the temple was the holy place. But then the inner sanctum goes to another level. And so the inner sanctum was not just the holy place. It was the holy of holies. Wow. We call this holy, but this now is the holy of holies. This is the most holy place. It's the highest place of holiness. And then and then it was totally separated from the holy place. And there was curtains and there were barriers. 
And this was the deal. This is so holy that we just cannot just expose it to anybody and everybody. And so what happens was this, that only one person once a year could enter the Holy of Holies. And that person was the high priest, not the priests, not the Levites, the high priest, the one person that represented spiritually the whole nation. And he could only enter the Holy of Holies on what's called the Day of Atonement. Matter of fact, the Day of Atonement is still celebrated today by the Jewish people. It's called Yom Kippur. How many of you heard of Yom Kippur? So this year, Yom Kippur happens on the 29th of February. It starts sunset Friday, the 29th of February, goes right through the Sabbath on the 30th of September and finishes at sunset. It's the Day of Atonement. Sorry? Oh, sorry, September the 30th. We got that? So just, just one day, 24 hours, 25 hours actually. And, and it's the Day of Atonement. And that happened every year. There's a special date in the Jewish calendar. It's the 10th day of the Jewish month of Tishrei. was the Day of Atonement. And so they build up to it. Build up to it. And, and, and when the sacrifice happened, it was like the sins of the people were appeased. Now, can I just say this? That when Jesus died upon the cross, he actually fulfilled that day of atonement. And it became now the season of atonement. So the day becomes the season. And so when Jesus died, and the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, that Jesus is our high priest, that he entered into the holy place, and that he shed his blood. Can you get hold of this? The price that was paid for us to have the holy of holies is that Jesus shed his blood. That high priest on the day of atonement could only enter the holy of holies if he had a blood sacrifice. And Jesus became the blood sacrifice. He himself not only was the high priest, but he also was the Lamb of God. And he sacrificed so that the sins of humanity might be appeased. And at that point, the Bible tells us that when he died, remember I was talking about this last or the week before last, where the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That whole separation between God and man was finally removed and the holy place became exposed to everybody. Everybody could enter in. Because Jesus made a way for us. That's the price that God paid for us. So that our shame and our guilt and our unforgiveness might be removed. And now he says, I make you holy. I make you the temple of God. I make you the holy of holies. So that I can now come and dwell in your life. What? We become the holy of holies. Yes, through the blood of Jesus Christ, you become the holy of holies. Can you understand that that is a thought so magnificent? That is a thought so high that some of us still can't come to grips with it. Because we're looking at our weaknesses. We're looking at our imperfections. We're looking at at how we don't match up. And God says... Hey, if I was waiting for you to match up, we'd never get there. So I'll do it for you. I will make you holy. You don't have to do it yourself. And this is 
so different to all the teachings of the world that says you've got to do it. You've got to be good. You've got to be better. You've got to do good things. Good, 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 good. You've got to win God. And God says, you've tried it. You've failed. You try to keep the Ten Commandments. You've failed. Let's turn it around. Let me make you good. Let me wash you. Let me cleanse you. Let me take the soap out and cleanse you. It's called the blood of Jesus Christ. It cleanses you from all sin. What an amazing thing that is so that you can become the holy of holies and you can become the temple of God and God can dwell inside of you. Can you get this? This is just way beyond some of our humanity that God wants to dwell in us. When God comes into our lives, and this is what Paul's praying, that God may enter into your hearts, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that he can set up his throne. So what happens is this, and a lot of people don't get it because when we pray the prayer with people, we just say, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in. When he comes in, what he wants to do is set up his throne in your heart. And what he needs to set up his throne in your heart is the understanding of how God operates. And the way God operates is through humility and obedience. So if you want God to to operate in your heart, you have to humble yourself and you have to obey. It's as simple as that. It's through humility and obedience that, that the kingdom of God operates. Because in heaven, the way heaven operates is through humility and obedience. So every angel in heaven is humble and obedient. Every elder and creature in heaven is humble and obedient. And the humility and the humility is I give honor to God. Not look at me, everybody, look how great I am. It's I give honor to God. I I I serve God. That's humility. Whatever you want, God, is what I'm willing to do. That's obedience. Not my will, but your will be done. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What an incredible way to pray. Thy will be done in my heart as it is in heaven. Come, come into my heart. Let let humility and obedience be that which now governs my life. And when you do that, God comes and dwells in you and everything changes. If that doesn't happen, all you've got is a bit of theology. All you've got is a bit of religion. But not everything changes because can I just say that when you do that, this is what God does when he comes in. Here it is. Get hold of this. This is so important. He plants his seed in your heart. Oh boy, you just got to get this. First John chapter 3. Eight and nine. Let's read it together. First John chapter three, verse. Are you are you with me this morning? You getting this? For some of you, this could be going over your head, but I just pray that it doesn't go over your head, but it gets into your heart. This is this is what it says in First John chapter three, eight and nine. I just this is just so powerful when you get it. It says this. Um, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Let's stop there for a second, because it's like, yes, sin, I I understand that. But the Bible says there's a battle between us and sin. There's a big battle. Can I just say this? God hates sin, but he doesn't hate you. He hates sin, and so what he wants to do is separate you from sin. 
And this is what it says, the next part of the verse. For this purpose, the Son of God made was manifest that he might destroy the works of the enemy. He might destroy the works of the enemy in your life. That's why Jesus came, to destroy the works of the enemy in your life so that you don't have to sin anymore. And so how does he do that? I'm glad you asked that. Verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Here it is. For his seed, see his is capital H, remains in him, in you. So what God does when you invite him in your heart, he actually plants his seed. Now, you say, what's this word seed? Can can I just say, maybe a better description of the word seed for our 21st century people is DNA. Can I just say DNA? Everybody say DNA. Because DNA is probably a better description of that word. Matter of fact, the Greek word for the word seed is sperma. For the sperma of God, the seed of God remains in you. How many of you know that just brings incredible connotations right there? It's the DNA of God is planted within you. God's DNA gets planted into your heart. And when the DNA of God is planted in your heart and takes root in your heart, then it produces the fruit of God's DNA in your life. And that connects us to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, where Paul starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where, sorry, chapter 12, where it talks about the manifestations of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, what happens is that we become God people with God's DNA working through our lives. And the manifestations that come out of our lives are not Satan's manifestations, but God's manifestations. And they're rooted in love. Because God is love. And so when when we're truly born again, when we truly open our hearts, when we truly have the seed of God planted in our hearts, and it starts to take root and starts to grow and starts to develop the DNA of God, manifests out of our life. And so this is the difference between allowing the DNA of God just to naturally outwork and rules and regulations. I've got to be good. I can't do that. I'm not allowed to do this. I've got to, I've got to watch myself do this. I've got to watch my tongue. I've got to watch this. And, and so you just tie yourself up into knots when you're tied up with legalism. And too many people have been tied up with religion and legalism and they just can't do it. And so when we invite them to become Christians, they interpret it, oh yeah, but I just can't, I just can't be a goody two-shoes. I just can't do what you guys do without realizing this is not what becoming a Christian is about. <clears throat> we don't, when you become a Christian, give you a set of rules and regulations. Becoming a Christian, you have to be born of the Spirit. This is a spiritual thing that takes place. You open your heart and God takes his DNA and he plants it inside of your heart. And you you create the atmosphere where that seed grows through humility and obedience. And you're watering that seed through humility and obedience. And that seed DNA begins to grow. And then all of a sudden, everything is rooted in love. 
And all of a sudden, everything comes out of love and joy and peace become manifestations out of your life. And you start to find yourself not getting as angry as you used to, not becoming as spiteful as you used to, because everything turns around. The, the, the atmosphere, the tree of God's DNA begins to grow into your life and there's no room for anything else and you become a godly person. Can I just say just some of the things, and my time is up, and I'm into the word here. I'm wanting to teach you. Papa, Papa Bear is wanting to feed your little mouths out there with solid pieces of God's word. Just very quickly, here's just four things that God's seed will produce in you. Just four things. The fruit, we've already talked about that, Galatians 5.22. But I love this one. He then gives you a ministry. What's the ministry that he gives you? Oh, I want to be an apostle. No, he gives you the ministry of reconciliation. Where, where you bring God and people together. This is found in 2 Corinthians 5.18. The ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18. It's given to you and you start to become a reconciler. You, you, you become a peacemaker. Wherever you go, you reconcile God and people. You reconcile people and people. Why is that? Because the seed of God in you manifests reconciliation. And you start to work that through. That's, that's, oh, I, won't, I won't go there because that will open up another. Anyway, third thing is that you become a child of God. A child of God in Romans 8, 16 to 17. And that child of God is someone that represents the culture, the manners, the DNA of God. See, it's, it's, it's not just the title. Now it's the actual DNA. There's a big difference between having the title child of God and having the DNA of a child of God. So that wherever you walk, you represent God. I'm a child of God. I represent my father. And then he gives us a title in 2 Corinthians 5.20. And the title is, you're an ambassador. But you've got to be a child before you become an ambassador. Too many people want the title without the DNA. And God wants to give you the DNA before you get the title. An ambassador. Hey, everybody, I'm an ambassador. No, you're first a child that represents the DNA of God. And when that happens, my goodness, everything changes. I think with a lot of us, we love the hearing about God wanting to be with us, especially in times of tribulation and temptation. To have God with us is a very powerful thing. I think we all love hearing God for us, especially when we're facing our battles and our giants and our storms. To know that God is for us is a very powerful thing. But God then wants to reveal the fact that not only is he with us and for us, but he wants to be in us. And that's when transformation takes place and we become the people of God, the people of God. Come on, let me finish by just quoting one last verse from Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, which incidentally, you know, I mean, it's fascinating because Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 is probably the most quoted verse at altar calls for pre-Christians. But in actual fact, this was written to a Christian church that had just lost their way. And what happened was that the things 
just came into their heart. And Jesus had found himself not in the center, but outside. And so he writes to them and he says, Hey guys, you've just, you've just actually pushed me out. But now I stand at the door and knock. It's time to let me back in the center of your lives so I can be in you and manifest my character, my love in and through your life. And when that happens, then you know that you truly are a child of God. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And look, for those of us through whatever reason, and there are so many varied reasons, maybe we've marginalized you, maybe we've put you to the side, or maybe we've ousted you right out of the center. But today, Lord, we want to recalibrate. And here we are. The divine love story just draws us because you're not pointing the finger of condemnation at us but you've extended your arms out saying come on come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest it's time to recalibrate it's time to get back into the presence of God thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge we invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.